Are we bringing up a generation of supersized kids who may not outlive their parents? How can one childhood obesity community activist help change the fate of this so-called Generation XL or Generation Extra Large? You're listening to ReachMD XM 160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment focused on child health. I'm Dr Mary Lushars, your host, and with me today is Dr Paul Ehrman. Dr Ehrman is a board-certified DO and practising family physician in Royal Oak, Michigan. He's also Assistant Professor of Osteopathic Medicine at Michigan State University, and he's been the recipient of numerous awards for his community-based work in the area of childhood obesity. Today he's going to share some of his insights that he's gained from his work as a childhood obesity community activist. Welcome, Dr Ehrman. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So how did you, as a DO and family physician, become involved in the area of childhood obesity? Well, I've been in practice about 28, 29 years in Detroit, Royal Oak, Michigan, which is a suburb in southeastern Michigan. And about seven or eight years ago, I took uh, some time off to go to a conference in our, our county, in Oakland County, Michigan. And at that time, there was the executive of Oakland County was talking about weight and children and physical activity. And he essentially said that our children have the potential of not outliving our parents. And that was a quote that was made actually by Richard Carmano, who was on the United States Surgeon General. So that really took me back a bit. And I felt at that time I needed to get involved with the mission and the battle against this terrible problem. Now, you work in the Detroit area that was just named by the Census Bureau as the U.S.'s number one poorest city. How do you think that impacts the incidence of obesity you see in the childhood population in your practice? Well, I think it has a tremendous impact. Of course, you know, we, we know what we need to do. It's just trying to find the resources, both human and financial, to perform the problem and get to get these, these issues resolved. The money is, is a big issue. The uh, issues of safe streets are very important, which we don't in certain urban areas. Obviously, that's a tremendous, tremendous challenge. And we have to continue to fight this battle. And we as physicians, I think, are able, will be able to have an impact on this if we get involved with our own communities, respective communities, and stay, again, true to our mission. Do you know any figures how Detroit may compare in terms of the incidence of obesity compared to the rest of the U.S.? Well, I know that we're probably in the middle to latter third. I know that Michigan has been improving over the last 10 years. There's some very, very good programs that are being performed throughout the state, starting from Lansing and the Surgeon General of the state of Michigan has been terrific in bringing programs with what's they have what's called a Steps Up program, and that's been very, very good. But I think that I know that we're improving. I know the numbers are not what they should be, but we keep striving to keep improving them. Now, tell me about your program that you call CHIPS. Yes, it's called the Children's Health Initiative Program, and the way that it started pretty much was started actually in our practice here in Royal Oak. We're a family practice and started with actually a patient and I got together and we tried to formulate and d- develop a, a program that was could be done for low cost, voluntary grassroots. We felt strongly that this needed to be done at that level and we particularly targeted elementary schools looking as an entry point could have been any age but we particularly looked at elementary school children and their parents and it was a a way that we tried to bring a a cost-neutral healthy living program for the schools 
and their, their, their families. And uh, that's how it got its start. And we moved on to develop, a, it was a five-week, 90-minute program encompassing primarily nutrition, physical education principles, and behavior lifestyle modification issues. And we brought a team of myself as a lead, registered dietitian, psychologist, a physical education person in this particular instance, it was a physical therapist, but certainly could be an exercise physiologist or a personal trainer. And we brought culinary people involved, the cooks. We brought some cooks in and we did some demonstrations and did some grocery store tours, some didactics. It's been just a great experience and we've been able to do some of these programs in surrounding communities by distance mentorship programs. Did anything surprise you about the level of knowledge or lack of knowledge of the children in terms of what they should be eating, how to cook, how to prepare a healthy meal, how to read a food pyramid, for example? You know, I think what was interesting to us is that I think the kids are getting the information at the school level. I think the parents are the ones that surprised me a little bit in terms of perhaps their lack of knowledge. And of course, you know, we we need to appeal to the parents. They're the ones that reinforce the message. And And statistically, we know that 65% of uh, adults are at risk of being overweight or uh, obese. So so that surprised me that there there was a lack of base uh, of knowledge. So, uh, again, I think people and families want tools, and the tools that they have, we want them to be able to do this for the rest of their life. So we hopefully are try to get a good start for them along with the other things that they get in school and, again, try to make it a community-based and make it very fun for the kids. How did you approach the particular aspect of the cooking with the kids? Did you prepare whole meals or did you talk about ingredients? How did that go? We did both, actually. What we did was we tried to build the foundation initially during one of the weeks. We had a, a food and fun week, we called it, and we basically had the kids look and we gave them information about food labeling, and we brought in a lot of different foods and tried to use that as a, maybe a foundation. And then what we did the following week, we actually also had, we always have the parents involved as well, so we had both child and parent in. And then the next week, we took them to supermarkets. We split into a couple groups. We had 30 kids and, of course, their parents, and we had a dietitian and a physician went to each grocery store, and we went on a tour, and we just talked about the healthy benefits of good food, how to cook food. We brought Gourmet Cook. They actually did a demonstration at one of the grocery stores. We had that set up, and that was really kind of kind of neat to actually see and answer questions, you know, uh, again, the parents. And then we also had the kids do some of their own cooking in another program. They did some cooking in a home economics room, so we actually kind of supervised them. We talked them about day-to-day things, things like, you know, what to do after school if if the kids are are hungry, things that are healthy to drink, all those kinds of things. So we we really kind of tried to answer a lot of the questions the parents had, and we also, in addition, gave them, you know, hopefully some good tools to apply. And did you involve your own kids in this program? Yeah, well, my kid's a little older. We have three boys, and they're in their 20s now. But we tried to set a good example for them, and they're doing fairly well. You know, their weights are good. If you're just joining us, uh, you're listening to a special segment Focus on Child Health on ReachMD XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr Mary Lushars, and today I'm speaking with Dr Paul Ehrman, who's a DO, and we're discussing how community-based programs can help combat childhood obesity. So, Paul, tell me... The CDC recommend not using the term obese to describe overweight people, and in in this instance, it's children. How do you describe, what terms do you use in your practice to describe kids who who are above the weight they should be? 
We like to use basically children of all sizes, adults of all sizes. There is a, as you mentioned or alluded to, there is a stigma certainly associated with with obesity, and we certainly do not want that to get in the way of the effort that the parents and the kids put towards the program. We talk about, instead of diet, we talk about nutrition. Instead of exercise, we talk about fitness. We really try to create more of a positive spin, if you will, on the issue, again, trying to stay true to the mission of making sure that we impact the problem and turn the effort into habit and a healthy habit so they can carry this on for the rest of their lives. Was there anything in your program that involved talking to kids about peer pressure or bullying, overweight kids? We did. We actually, we have two psychologists that work with us. All of these people, by the way, that were on our team, and these are our, we call our master team, our initial, uh, our initiating team or our inaugural team, but, you know, every particular community can develop their own team. But we had a, a female and a male psychologist because some kids, obviously female, the young girls may have questions of the woman psychologist and, and vice versa. But we did talk about that, and we actually, in our first week, we had an overview of the program, but we had a psychologist kind of a question and answer period just with the parents. And we brought the parents kind of aside, and the kids were doing some physical activities and getting used to some of the other instructors that were there. And we answered everything, and that was certainly in the mix. You know, that came up, and, you know, those kinds of issues are dealt were dealt with the best way that we could help people with that problem. But, yeah, I mean, this, the kids that grow up in that environment, unfortunately, have a lot of issues with self-esteem problems and personality disorders. And we really feel that we, we try to get that across to the parents. And I think that really uh, resonated, I think, with the parents in terms of what we were talking about. What's the most satisfying patient experience you've had running this program? I just feel that I see kids that I treated initially in our first program that was from our local community, and I'm seeing a number of kids that are coming to our practice because of it, and I'm seeing them now three, four, five years down the road, and I know it's not an evidence-based type of study, but I can tell you that from the kids and the parents that I've seen, I really feel we've made a difference. Now, you know, we have approximately 10 to 12 million kids in this country that are at risk, and 25 million kids worldwide are at risk. So, But I feel that if we go community to community, I think that same type of feeling can be brought forward. And I feel as docs, we really can make a difference with this. And it can be done in a very, very low cost, not a lot of time in terms of what we put into it. We get so much more out of it. And I just just enjoy it more than you could ever imagine. And do you have any measure of your success rate per number of children that you're exposed to? We had some studies we did. Initially, we had we used endpoints such as eating breakfast and daily exercise. The problem that we had and we knew from the outset was that we didn't have the financial or the human resources to follow the kids long term because it's a volunteer-based program. But what we're hoping to do is as we get more communities involved, we want to certainly apply a research arm. We're actually talking to a couple of major universities right now, and we'd love to try to get someone involved with the design and develop endpoints and outcomes and things that really should be done in a scientific basis. So I don't have real good hard numbers. I know the numbers were positive, but of a very small number of children, 30 to 60 kids. So I don't really have those those uh, firm numbers, but we're hopeful that we'll be able to have those in the future. Now, you've written a book, Paul, and in the title, you've coined the phrase Generation XL or Extra Large. Can you tell us a bit about the book? Yes, yes. The book actually was conceived about two years after our initial entry point into the program, and I felt it was important 
if we were going to try to be a small piece of a strategic plan, at least at the school level, to try to impact the problem of childhood obesity, I felt I wanted to memorialize the information so anybody could pick the book up and kind of see what we've done. And not that it has to be exactly the way that we've done it, but it gives them some ideas on how to simply apply some of the things that we did and make it a lot easier for those people that are looking to get involved. Have you seen success from people who've used your book and applied the template to other communities? Yes, yes. And again, somewhat anecdotal at this point, but I do know that I've, um, I've heard from a number of people within the state of Michigan and a couple of doctors that I've had some contact out of the state of Michigan in terms of trying to get some information uh, about the program and trying to set programs up. And then, of course, we distance mentor if they would like us to, to try to get them started. And so far, it's been working out great. And what's a website that our physician listeners can have a look at to gain some more insight into what you do? Okay, the website is www.chipkids.com. Great. Well, my thanks to you, Dr. Paul Ehrman, for being our guest today and talking to us about uh, community programs to combat childhood obesity. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars, and you've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Child Health on ReachMD160, the channel for medical professionals. We welcome your comments and questions through our website at reachmd.com, which now features our entire medical show library in on-demand podcasts. Thanks for listening.